I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And welcome back oh, to there our. Was, yeah, there you go. That was a nice wrist. Oh, I feel so rested. Yeah, I've, I had this crazy dream though. Yeah, I've got I've got some slashes on my arm forearm you, here. I had this dream about this guy, and he had like a, a burnt face oh, and like yeah, a hat. A hat. Yeah, and, and he had like claws. Yeah, more like more like um knives. Knives. Yeah, yeah. like knives. Yeah. Anyway, back to our <laughs> series. <laughs> Back to our podcast, running the whole series of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. And I think you're up next, Duncan. Yes. So, A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Dream Child. Released in 1989, directed by Stephen Hopkins, written by Leslie Bowen, starring Lisa Wilcox, Kelly Jo Minter, Erica Anderson, and Robert England. Mm. A newly pregnant Alice begins to have bad dreams again, seeing visions of Freddy's past and his mother. But Alice is shocked to discover that not only is Freddy back to his killing ways with the other kids of Elm Street, he is able to invade her reality while she's awake. Until this point, uh, Freddy kind of just keeps showing up from episode to episode, with the exception of the dog piss, you know, which seems like a bit of a... Hey, whatever. Yeah. So part five also... You know, in earnest, shows for the first time the rebirth of Freddy in some kind of semi-serious way. Somehow magically reborn in one of the early dream sequences. Because he can haunt Alice's dream and she is theoretically the first Elm Street kid to be pregnant, it means that Freddy can transfer to her child and use his dreams to attack. Uh, This is a satisfying way to mix up the recipe. And with the child theme, it means that it leans heavily on the Freddy mythology, casting Freddy and his angelic mother as opposing forces, battling in a dream dimension for the souls of visitors. The issue with keeping the heroine from before, which Alice is, is of course Alice already knows the deal from the beginning. Yeah. So they switch up the rules on us and keep Alice guessing as to how Freddy is able to infiltrate her reality. This is significant as one of the last major horror films released of the 80s, in the 80s. Uh, 89, I think it's like August 89. Mm. So I can't think of another big horror franchise that was released this late. And also the only Freddy film to begin with a sex scene. Uh, In that weirdly presented 80s lighting as if someone's like 500% zoomed in on Betty Blue. Mm. Uh, So you just see like flashes of flesh. Um, Having said that, Dream Child is actually one of the best shot of the series but it has a more muted colour palette and lit with harsher shadows than the early 80s entries. It, it kind of reminded me a little bit of something like the Halloween 4 and 5s, the way that they're shot, right. like kind of autumnal almost colour palette. Um, and this suits the tone of the film because Dream Child is less fun, playing the plot with a straight bat and asking the actors to take everything pretty seriously. And it's Freddy who stands outside of this approach. He remains a comedic c- creation, specifically in the Monty Pythonesque grotesque of Greta's death where he like force feeds her until she chokes yeah Uh, this is probably the first of the films where Freddy himself is becoming a little played out for me uh, and falling into self-parody Freddy barely goes a sentence without using the word bitch um, yeah, yes, you know. particularly um, I noticed it in that death you're talking about there. Yeah. Um, and it just felt like, oh gosh, do you, that's, do you, are you going to keep saying that forever? Yeah. Apparently, yes. And he says, that the, I think it's almost the next line, he says, you know, he just keeps pulling it out every mm. time. Um, it's like, you know, like 
like an evil Jesse Pinkman out of Breaking <laughs> Bad. Um, and look, while some of the stop motion animation hasn't aged that well, some of the other effects are very memorable. Especially impressive is the scene where one victim is pulled into a comic world. Mm. Um, the entire set, including Freddy himself, is black and white, while the lead character is in color. In pre-CGI days, this is a level of artistry dedication you wouldn't expect for part five of a horror series. Yeah, true. Because they painted all of that black and white and then put this guy in color. Mm. That's the thing. It's not like, oh, well, we'll just, you know, drop our color, you know, pen in here and there we go. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like they actually film, you know, that's that's pretty amazing. It almost reminded me of like, say like a, almost like a Peter Jackson kind of, like an early Peter Jackson kind of thing here do, you know? Yeah. Um, especially when it has a finale set in the painting of MC Escher's Relativity. I kind of um, love that. Yeah, it's, it's like a constantly referenced painting. Uh, even if you haven't heard of it, you'll know exactly what it yeah. is. It's, uh, famously for audiences in the finale of Labyrinth, mm. um, which also has a, our heroine trying to save a child in an upside-down collection of stairs while trying to avoid the clutches of a disturbing man. Mm. Uh, you know, that one's the Thin White Duke. This one's Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Stephen Hopkins throws a lot at the canvas here, and far more than the series probably deserves at this point. Dream Child was the first one I remember being a little bit bored in as a kid. Right. But I have judges a little too harshly, I think. Uh, while it doesn't have the pace of one or three, it is the most relentlessly visually inventive of the series for me. Uh, considering its budget, that's even more impressive, and even cool Mo D's rapping awkwardly placed in the end credits can't take that away. <laughs> well, not much. Um, Tries, though. It does. So the budget of this was $6 million, which is you know a significant chunk, but today's standard is not much. But it only made twenty two point two million, right? Like in comparison, so yeah. you're kind of going from four or five times it's reaping it to like three times. Yeah, that is down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, annoyingness of the adults, just a one out of four. A snarky doctor here, a condescending parent there, but no one gets in the way of the protagonist or her friends. No, how's 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 her dad's change of heart? Eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He really right. turns it around. Eh? He does. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of get like the. The Greta, who's got that kind of slightly overbearing mother, but she never, you know, she's not feeding a kid sedatives or locking her away, or yeah, know, she's just yeah. picking away at her self esteem really a little yeah. bit. So that's it. Imagination of the Kills, uh, three out of four. Uh, the comic book killing alone is worth checking out for its inventiveness. Yeah. The bizarre food shoveling scene and the motorcycle taking over the rider are both memorable and take their inspiration from different genres. I, I gotta say, I love the motorbike death. Yeah, like it's like a scene out of Tetsuo. You yeah, know that's right. It's a real body horror death yeah. too, which I love. That's right, it's a body top. Yeah, it's a body horror thing, and, and and even Greta's one was getting shoveled in the food. Like that beginning of it reminded me of like a Peter Greenaway film or something, yeah. and then it turns into this kind of yeah, like I say, like a, a Terry Gilliam or Monty Python esque you mm. know thing. Reminded me of Brazil, yeah, when Catherine Hellman's getting a plastic surgery and getting a face literally pulled yeah, across. Yeah. It was similar to that, and it has those kind of Dutch angles, yeah, fish eye lens, yeah, yeah, fish eye lens, yeah kind of things. Um, so it's quite expressionistic in a lot of ways, this film. Uh, the Explain Away the Deaths, one out of four. Surprisingly, there are only three deaths and all of them are actually really easily explained. Mm. One a car crash, one a choking, and one a roof collapsing. Mm. Um, although the forensic investigation of that one, the roof collapsing, might be difficult as he was like chopped to shreds in his dream. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure. So yeah, yeah. I that's the one. Like for me, if any of them, it's that one. There's a yeah. copy system like ah, oh, this place is like a death trap. It's yeah. like 
Yeah, but the guy slashed her ribbons, and, <laughs> yeah. the, and, and the girl's fine. Yeah. Totally unhurt. Yeah. It seems unlikely that the pace would have just fallen over, Yeah, chopping this guy up by mincemeat. Yeah. So I'd say that that's the one. Maybe maybe it was bouncing into a two, but I thought most of them were, mainly because they went out of the way for that guy to go, well, it's lucky she's not dead as well. You know, <laughs> What are you yeah. crazy kids doing in this yeah, you know, no, abandoned no, no, warehouse no. kind of thing? I mean, bless him for throwing in a line to cover it. Yeah, like I say, this is one that um, I remember being quite down on. I, don't, I wasn't a fan of this one. I think maybe because it came out of... Four and which I, I really enjoyed and the the kind of but going back at this one this one yeah, really totally. held up. Look, yeah. the idea that Freddie enters their dreams through the unborn child's yeah um, dreams in the womb yeah is amazing yeah and I actually think that it really throws a new it just throws this new curve into it yeah and it just uh, it's fascinating the way she's bouncing into dreams and just like yeah. and, and it takes so long to figure it out too which is great it's yeah. a bit of mystery in it. Yeah, and and we we take a while to figure it out as well. Yeah, absolutely. You don't immediately make that connection. So yeah, yeah I um, yeah I really enjoyed mm, that. So um, yeah, there's some connection between your dreams and his dreams, and his dreams mean bad news. I know you think I'm crazy, but I can feel it. Why can't anybody talk about anything but dreams around here? All right, and that leads us into Freddy's dead, the final nightmare from 1991. Shockingly, it turns out that Freddy isn't dead after all. In fact, after a wild opening 10 minutes that seems to be setting up a comedy entry, it's established that there are now no kids left for Freddy to kill in the hometown of Springwood anymore. Well, only once it turns out. So he drives that last surviving teen across the town lines, wiping his memory in the process. One of several new tweaks to Freddy Law in this film, and he washes up at a home for troubled kids. The kid, named John Doe naturally, returns to Springwood in the company of social worker Maggie and several stowaways to see if they can make sense of this of his sudden appearance. What they find is a ghost town inhabited only by adults who have been driven insane by the loss of their kids. Freddy seizes the opportunity to return, killing several kids in pretty comical ways and then hitching a ride in Maggie's head, again as I've said earlier, not making any of this up, to a town to torment new kids. Look, this is where we started getting into wild spoiler territory because it's revealed that Maggie is Freddy's daughter. Mm-hmm. That's right. And she begins to remember things about the past. With the help of a dream expert called Doc, played by Yafit Koto, not making any of this up, by the way, uh, she discovers that Freddy is inhabited by three ancient worm-like dream demons, and she sets out to battle her father and destroy him for good. Where to start, eh? Mm. Firstly, this is handily the worst and strangest entry in the series, I think. Yeah. Freddy is introduced riding a broom, cackling like a fairy tale witch, and later he kills a character by putting him into a game cartridge and beating him to a pulp inside a video game. So it's like it's really hitting, you know, those cool things that the kids were playing with at the time. It's all opportunity for Freddy to dish out one liners. And he has never been more of a goofball. When his own kid kills him, he actually looks at the camera and says, Oh kids. Yeah. It's too much for me. And then there's the guest stars. Uh Roseanne and Tom Arnold are a pair of crazy Springwood locals fawning over the kids. Johnny Depp returns to the franchise. Uh, in the form of a PSA on the dangers of drugs. And a flashback to Freddie's youth shows that he was raised by Alice Cooper, which I guess maybe explains a few things. <laughs> uh, the, the bizarre story and the lurch into comedy kills this one for me, I'm afraid. Uh, but this is also 1991, and computer effects were starting to take over, which means we can add cheap and plausible proto-CGI to this film's sins. <laughs> it's revealed that Freddie gets his powers from G- Dream Demons, uh, which are these three floating slug spirits that circle Kruger before his death. And they just look awful. They right. just look ridiculous. Uh, not perhaps as awful as Freddy's giant CG face is exposed towards us when he dies, but pretty awful. Parts of this film were shot to be screened in 3D, 
Uh, there's even an awkward scene where characters put on magic 3D glasses, mm-hmm. like as a cue for the audiences to do the same. But I'm sure it looked as shoddy in three dimensions as it does when I watched it in two. <laughs> but regardless, there was still money in this franchise, just not as much. Freddy's Dead returned $34 million on its $11 million budget. Wow. So, you know, still still stuff to be made there. Yeah, There were only three deaths in this film, which is pretty no, meager, right? Eh? Yeah. yeah, And two are pretty comical. So I can only give it a solitary finger knife. And that knife goes to poor Carlos, whose head is exploded by the sound of Kruger's bladed gloves scratching chalkboard. Uh, Carlos has hearing problems, so he's... Oh, that's right, I remember Yeah, that. yeah, yeah so yeah. he has these um, hearing aids, that, and Kruger makes some special magical, yeah. horrendous ones that turn up the volume far further than they should. Look, air trauma is always pretty grim, and an exploding head would no doubt make this most challenging death for authorities to explain in a way as well, mm. just like a kid with no head. Um, in contrast, Spencer just disappears into a bottomless pit. Hell, for all I know, he's alive somewhere in the, in the Nightmare on Elm Street universe, you know? Yeah. That death just doesn't occur on screen. <laughs> you know, you've got three deaths and somebody just disappears. Yeah. Uh, parent-wise, the mostly goofy. I mean, Roseanne... I, I mean, is Roseanne a bad parent in this movie? I'm not sure. She's obviously a bad person in real life, of course. But that's a whole other issue. She just seems confused and lost, like most of the characters. Spencer's dad, though, is a real A-grade bully. So I'm prepared to go two knives for that dick. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, that's Freddie's dad. Um, yeah. I, um, you sound like you've, you, you watched all of these in preparation for this. So I actually just watched the ones... Um, the ones that I I, I I was assigned, except two and four, I've seen quite recently, so like in right. the last five six years. So I, I rewatched those. Yeah, um, I am. Um, but I, six, I can never bring myself, and I hadn't watched five in years, so it was good to watch that again. After we decided we were going to do this, I got allocated work to do the first four Friday thirty uh, Nightmare on Elm Wow. Yeah, I had to do a, a generic montage for <laughs> the four that were playing on the Duke um, yeah. network. Uh, so that was like bonus. Yeah. So. Yeah. Already, you know, my, I was going to be watching two and four in work time. Yeah. And then it gave me a chance to rewatch one and three. Yeah. But I did turn around and watch um, five again. Mm-hmm. And I almost got through all of seven, but yeah. I just completely ran out of time. Mm. But yeah, I did try to watch yeah. the whole series again. But six is awful. Oh, I, it's I truly remember. terrible. And it kind of reminded me of the, um, maybe because it kind of came around a similar time, reminded me of um, Jason Goes to Hell. You know, just like, what the hell is this? You know, it's like, very similar. It's just, and, what are you guys doing? Yeah, in the like, sense that there's all this backstory they're introducing. Yeah. And it's also kind of not very good. Yeah. You know, as well. Yeah. And, and bad CG in both those, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember this being the, a big deal in my, I think I was like 16 when this came out and people yeah. were talking about it. Oh, it's the final Friday. It's going to be amazing, you know? Yeah. Well, and so. uh, yeah, and there was the whole thing about having Roseanne and Tom Arnold and yeah. Johnny Depp in it who were all, you know, yeah. figures in the cultural landscape at the time. So that was kind of a big deal as well somehow. Yeah. Uh, for me, Alice Cooper being in it. I love Alice Cooper, mm. obviously. But um, it's a very challenging watch now. Yeah. It's, it's a real hot mess. I could imagine, yeah. Yeah. The only Nightmare on Elm Street to be directed by a woman. Yeah, well. yeah. Um, who went on to do Tank Girl a couple of years later, yeah, and, right. and never directed a film since. Mm. But um, looking her up on IMDb, fantastic career in television. Yeah, series, she, so. she's done like um, Doctor Who and Sherlock and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, heaps of good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, um, yeah. So I can remember her name. Just sort of should have written it down. But uh, so she had been involved on at New Line for years. So had been worked on this franchise in different capacities, right, like yeah. as an executive producer and. So um, I'm glad it all worked out after this. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan, until mommy gets back, whatever you do, don't fall asleep.
And now we're on to A Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, uh, which is basically part seven. Released in 1994. Written and directed by Wes Craven. Starring Heather Langenkamp, Wes Craven, and you guessed it, Robert England. Famous for playing Nancy, actress Heather Langenkamp is having bad dreams and begins to suspect that Freddy Krueger may have moved from the big screen into real life. When she finds out that creator Wes Craven is writing a new Nightmare on Elm Street film that is mirroring her experiences, she realises that the impossible may be coming true. Look, this is the film that Wes Craven wanted to make back in 1987, which was turned into part three. And I think it was a bit of a split. Philosophically, it kind of pushed Craven out. He's like, um, I don't mm. really care about this because, you know, I think he's invested up until he got treated like that. So here, after the series is theoretically done with Freddy's dead, yeah, um, Craven comes back to dive into a meta-horror world he would popularize and conquer just two years later with Scream. A new nightmare even has the scary phone calls with a similar ghost-faced voice, but this time singing Freddy's eerie nursery rhyme. Uh, even by the time he got to Scream 3, where films about the original Scream are being made, there are echoes of scenes in New Nightmare. To start us off, the opening montage is a remake of the opening montage from the original Nightmare on Elm Street, where the iconic Freddy glove is being crafted. A dream sequence manages to get a couple of gruesome kills in when an artificially in- intelligent robotic Freddy hand murders a set worth of people. Um, but then you find out that didn't actually happen in just a dream. Yeah. Heather Langenkamp plays the shades of her character better here than she has in the past, and the film wraps around her more completely than any of her other appearances, even part one. The moments early on when she's trying to avoid thinking that Freddy is real is when she feels the most relatable. In the scene where she's interviewed on a talk show, and she there's nice little moments where she pauses before revealing her son's name as she's he- hesitant to betray his privacy, especially as she begin these creepy phone calls. And then seconds later, she takes like this brief second to compose herself as Robert England, dressed as Freddie, bursts through the set scenery to an adoring crowd. And she's the only one who isn't enjoying the moment. Mm. And it makes her even her isolation feel even more real. It's nice little character yeah, moments yeah. like that. The score by J. Peter Robertson is surprisingly conventional soundtrack, often distracting melodies that are really overbearing. In particular, the scene... Uh, when the child is crossing the motorway just before the film's climax. Mm. And her child, Nancy's kid, is played by Michael Hughes, who had his film debut as the doomed Gage in the original. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, he was in a lot of films. He's in Apollo 13 and Mercury Rising, and he did all these films probably for about seven years where he's just the kid. Yeah. So he'd already done like seven films by the time this one came around. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And he's still like quite a young kid. Yeah. So Freddie's reemergence is held off until the final act, which is something I talked about in the first one. While the villain is upgraded to a sinewy, scarred visual look, tonally he's more in line with the original. But it would have been interesting to see Freddy as like a different beast. Uh, Nancy says he's scary and a darker version, but he's ultimately the same wisecracking monster. Imagine him as a monster who churns for his victims rather than kind of ineffectually chasing them or needlessly toying with them. Mm. But then again, I recall the 2010 remake where they kind of did that, and I think mm, maybe not. Yeah, because <laughs> it all just got a bit grimy and kind of oh, a bit <sighs> depressing. Yeah. So the finale also has like visual nods to The Shining and audio strings recalling Psycho. Like they just basically completely pull it out of there. But ultimately, this film was a one-trick pony. It was a novel trick at the time. 
but on rewatch, it doesn't have enough suspense in individual scenes or across the narrative to really enthrall for its duration. There is an exception to this, which is the scene at the hospital just before the climax. That sequence creates tension by cutting between dual scenes of suspense before bursting into violence. Unfortunately, the finale is so familiar, you'll swear you've seen it. And you would have, if like me, you'd watch part five like right before it. I watched them on the same night. Right. And Oh, so it's a woman chasing, looking after right, a right, kid right. in a dream yeah. sequence. You know. um, look, the film can be too teasing at times. When the film is sold around Freddy invading real life, spending two-thirds of the film teasing us with the question of, is he back? It just mm. seems a little redundant. Yeah. So the budget of this was $8 million. That's surprisingly cheap. And the box office was only $19.7 So this is the least performing box office of the series. Mm. Yeah. But critically, one of the most yeah ordered. yeah yeah annoyingness of the adults. <laughs> well, it doesn't quite work as Nancy herself. Is no, adult. no, no. This is, we're in the adult world now. Yeah, but in keeping with the inconsistent dream rules of the series, I'm going to bend the rules here too and say annoyingness of all adults except for Nancy. Yeah, uh, it's a solid two out of four on yep. the uh, finger knife scale, possibly even tipping into um, three. But when she says Freddy Krueger is coming after her and her son, naturally most people think she's not only seen too many movies, but been in too many of them as well. Mm. Uh, the doctor treating her child, being particularly obtrusive, getting security to contain Nancy, sedating her son, that nasty sedation again, through stealth, no less, mm. and threatening to call child services on our heroine. Uh, explain away the deaths. Look, while Freddie manages to keep some um, pretty good subterfuge going for the first two-thirds of the film, the plan goes out the window with the inexplicable, clear-cut champ four-out-of-four finger knives of unexplainable deaths as Julie, the poor nanny, is dragged across the hospital by an invisible Freddie. Quite how you explain how someone stabs themselves in the back with four blades, holds themselves in mid-air, and then crawl up the walls across the ceiling as anyone's guess. And when the disbelieving authorities actually get to witness it, uh, that means it's about as inexplicable as deaths get in the series. Wow. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't remember that, because like I say, this is the one I didn't get quite through um, in time for this. And imagination of the deaths. I give this a measly one out of four. Uh, New Nightmare only has a few deaths that have been done before. Mm. Nancy's husband falling asleep at the wheel was done in part five, and the nanny's death is a replica of Tina's death, mm. uh, which was the first killer of the series, yeah. which is why it's so effective and memorable yep. in this film. Yeah. Because it, it's... Harking back to yeah, this. Just, yeah, 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 it's a callback, yeah. And it upgrades it. But also it does that dual suspense thing of Eddie, Freddie coming up behind her and she's mm. talking to the kid going, what's wrong, what's wrong? And she can't see that she, he's about to you know, stab her yeah, the back. Yeah. This one I found like my attention really dipped in and out of. Right. So sometimes I was like, oh, that's really, oh, that's, that's kind of really clever. And then other times I'll go for like 20 minutes where it's like, oh, who cares? Yeah. And the ending is, I found really unsatisfying because it's this meta horror film but the whole finale is just a typical Freddy Krueger yeah so and it's kind of a but I don't know, guess it's betwixt and between damned if you do damned if you don't if you completely mix it up and don't give the people what they want they're like well it's not really a yeah. not on Elm Street yeah um, so yeah I don't know it's certainly an interesting idea and there are things I like about it like um, I like her isolation uh, because you know mm. we talked about how the kids compare notes and like describe mm. Freddy to each other she, th- this doesn't exist for her yeah that's right you know um even if she hasn't a supportive adult like John Saxon who shows up, mm. he, he's not going to understand what she's going through or believe what she's going through. Yeah. I mean, the closest they get is um, 
is, is of course Wes Craven, and he's hardly a you know yeah, he's, right. he's hardly a helpful figure in this movie. I, I just love that he comes out and um, does the exposition thing, and he says, "Well, you know, um, Freddy's this beast who, um, you know, is if we don't write a something for him, then he'll escape. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a demon essentially. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, okay, but um, do you need to write in Nancy and her child being? It's like his yeah. script's coming to life. It's like, can't you veer this off to somewhere else? Like contain yeah. him some other way? Yeah. Like him to fight Godzilla or something? Yeah, yeah. No, I love <laughs> I, I love that. It makes him such a it makes Wes Craven himself yeah. like a villain in this film. That's right. And that scene where she's talking to him about it and, and they have the discussion and on his um on his laptop you can you can see the discussion they're having right in that moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, as part of a script. I, yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um yeah. it makes him as villainous as Freddy in its own way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. They have Robert Shea, who's the producer. Yeah. Who apparently always wanted to be in the films, apparently. Right. They were saying he was always trying to get in, yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of have these actors, well, non-actors, really, which um, is yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. awkward. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they have whole scenes between, oh, look, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I wish, I wish I'd written this down, but I was doing that thing where I was on IMDb and going down a, like a wiki hole. Yeah. And there's a receptionist at New Line who says something like, um, have you got an appointment? That's like one line in the entire film. Yeah. She was uh, Joe Pesci's ex-wife, right? And then married someone else, and then uh, tried to get him killed, and she's now serving prison. Wow! Time. Yeah, and I was—I um, don't know why that st- struck with me for some reason. Yeah, you know, there's a, a murderer right there on wow. screen for a second. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. It's interesting seeing all these um, people like Shay and Craven appearing on screen, mm. and um, I liked England in this too. I liked him when he was playing himself. Yeah, that's you know, right. like. That scene we like you talked about where he comes out in front of the audience and he's clearly loving the attention. He's yeah. just a big ham, which mm. is, I think, probably who England is. Yeah, you that's know? right, yeah. Freddy versus Jason. Place your bets. And that leads us to the last in the series, Freddy versus Jason from 2003. Shockingly, it turns out that Freddy isn't dead after all. What? But he is weak. So weak that he needs someone to create fear in the Elm Street kids so that their nightmares will give him strength. Which leads him to resurrect Jason Voorhees and send him off to Springwood to start terrorising teens. Alas for Freddy, Jason proves too good at his job <laughs> and is soon killing all Kruger's precious kids. So he has to put Jason to sleep so he can put him in his place, in his nightmares. A group of Elm Street survivors have their own plan, which involves transporting Jason back to Crystal Lake, pulling Freddy out of his dream world and then setting the two horror icons against each other. Simple way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like it work. <laughs> Can't imagine there being any problems. No. This is the first time I've watched this film since I saw it in the cinema with my co-host. I remember yeah. it vividly, yeah. I remembered it fondly enough, mostly for getting to see the two horror bad boys go head to head. But watching it for now, but watching it now, it's, it's kind of, it was a bit of a letdown. I right. don't know if you've watched it again since. Oh, I haven't watched it for a long time, no. And the idea is fine enough. And the rationale for these two working together, it largely works. I'm not, I don't find it too problematic. But that's not why we're watching the film. We're watching it for the showdown. And it's a bit of a slog getting there. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem is the kids. It's the kids is the problem, Duncan. <laughs> Teens in a Jason film are mostly idiots, caring only for where their next brewski is coming from, who's got the joints, and how the heck are they going to get laid. <laughs> They're so focused on these three goals that they mostly miss their impending demise at the hands of a six-and-a-half-foot-tall childhood drowning victim. <laughs> only the final girl and sometimes guy has the clarity of mind to see the danger coming and thwart the killer. But Elm Street teens are different. They're more rounded, less carnal, more aware of the danger in their dreams. Way less likely to get killed skinny dipping. Mm. Part of the terror of a Freddy film is that the teens know what's coming. 
They're trying to fight it, but they're powerless against their dreams. Creating a world where both sets of teens live and die is a bit of a stretch for this film. Mm. It opens with a Friday the 13th teen getting topless and then butchered. And minutes later, we're on Elm Street with horny partygoers and our second instance of female nudity, which just feels out of place in a Freddy film, Mm -hmm. you know? Later, a bunch of drunken partygoers are slaughtered by Jason, and suddenly a stoner, kind of styled after Jay of Jay and Silent Bob, is for no good reason part of the team. It makes no sense. Like, I don't know why he's suddenly traveling with him, you know? Yeah. Except for that he's a kind of a stoner caricature and it's funny or something. Yeah. It makes no sense, or rather, it wouldn't have Friday the 13th film, but not an Elm Street movie. And the teens are all in their 20s as well. Lead actress Monica Keener is 25, and it's like so obvious. Like, yeah. Watching it now, it's like, you're a full adult, eh? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and so are most of you, I think. Mm. I feel like everyone's at least in their 20s. Surely sensing that the bloody but average carnage so far won't hold an audience's attention because all by one of the kills in this film come courtesy of Jason, which is a troubling ratio. Mm. The script has the teens make some staggering leaps to figure out how to beat these two killers. I mean, they go from figuring out that, like, um, uh, Freddy, must be, Freddy must be making him kill us to make us frightened. Mm. Um, Freddy died in a fire. Jason's afraid of water. Maybe we can use those against them. It's like, wow, you guys are geniuses. <laughs> eh? like, you've never heard of these people until this moment, and you're figuring all this out. Yeah. And it's really just, I mean, you know what's happening. It's, 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 like, it's like the characters are reading the script as they're interacting in it, and it's so that we can get to the ending as fast as possible. Yeah. And to be fair, this is where things get kind of goodish. The campsite is now a Looney Tunes cartoon of exploding flying gas tanks, burning buildings, runaway carts, and falling metal skewers for the film's anti-heroes to run a mock over. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun. It, it grinds to an awkward halt for a moment when Kenny Rowland flings a homosexual slur at Freddy, which oh, is just like... I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And just derides his teeny knives when compared to Jason's big manly machete. Uh, those jokes have aged really badly. Mm. Horrendously even. <laughs> But the action is mostly grim and gory, even if Freddy is inexplicably suddenly a martial arts master. Like in real life, this isn't Freddy in the dream. He's brought out of his dream. Right. You know, this burnt, scarred monstrosity. Mm. And he's just like doing like parkour style (laughs) martial arts moves on Jason, who is so lumbering. Yeah. So slow. So it's kind of a messy miss for me. Proving that getting the killers together isn't the problem. It's getting their two worlds to line up that's the issue. Mm. And director Ronnie Yu, who had given us the enormously fun Bride of Chucky five years earlier, mm-hmm. which is I'm sure the calling, you know, which was sure the, what got him this job. He can't find a way to bring the same fun shenanigans to the first two thirds of this film. However, its sizable 30 million budget led to a whopping 114 million. Wow. 114 million. A couple of those bucks were ours. Yeah, totally. <laughs> dollar return, which makes it a little surprising that they didn't opt for. Another one, you yeah. know, rather than rebooting both franchises. Yeah. Like, I wonder if there was a thought that, ah, let's have them go at it again and maybe throw in, you know, someone else. Yeah. Well, there's always that talk, wasn't it? There was the um, the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Yeah, for which sure. I think yeah, they yeah. did a comic book of that. Yeah, there's a comic yeah. book of that. Yeah. So, um, which would be the logical place to go because you can't, it's not like you can go to Michael Myers because he's essentially another Jason. So, you need someone who can deliver one liners. You Pro- could You could have gone Chucky. Yeah, true. You could have gone Chucky. Yeah, you need someone to be delivering one line. So you can't have another yeah. silent kind of no. lumbering thing. Um, yeah, yeah. It would have been hard. Hard to imagine who that third person would be. And I don't know if you could do the same trick again of just going Freddy versus Jason Part Two. Mm. Um, you know, I think the struggle to get me through mm. a second watch of this already. Yeah. Look, most of the kills seem pretty seem to be pretty easily explained away as a marauding maniac, perhaps. 
as one cop puts it, a Jason copycat. Uh, not too many suicides. Not too, not too many suicides by machete, eh? <laughs> uh, we've, only the poor guy who has his face slashed while in a lock room and his back branded with the words Freddy's back would be a bit of a mystery to police, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's Freddy's soul kill in this entire film. Really? Though. Yeah. Um, and I'll give it a knife and a half for kills. And all of that is on Jason, mostly for the scene where he repeatedly stabs the dude and then folds him rather unnaturally in half inside of collapsing bed. Right. Um, that's kind of like even watching now, it's like, oh, gosh. Mm. I mean, he's probably dead from the machete wounds, let's be fair. <laughs> yeah. But the back snapping is pretty grim. That's a Jason move, eh? Because that happens in six. He backstabs yeah, the, the yeah, sheriff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is a cool Jason move. It's yeah. like sleeping bag is one of his signature moves. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's his finishing move. Yeah, yeah. And I also like when he uh, impales a random uh, party goer and then hurls the corpse into the night sky. I got kind of a guilty giggle out of that. Mm. The guy just sails away. <laughs> he's, he's got a hell of a throw on him, eh? Yeah. And maybe I'll give it a single finger knife for the parents. Laurie's dad seems like a jerk, but it's later, rather confusingly, I think, revealed that the murder of his wife, um, something that would have pushed him over into full glove load of finger knives, was committed by Freddy Krueger, which just makes him seem like a concerned father with some kind of anger issues going on. Right. Um, I'm not sure how that's confused. Like, yeah. there's this guy who says, oh, I thought your father killed your mum, but now I see it was Freddy. And I was like, but wait... How do you confuse those two? Is mm. one happens in a dream, one doesn't? Mm. Uh, but how did her no mother? Sense. How did her mother die from Freddy killing her? How did that happen? In a dream? Uh, yeah, as yeah, an adult. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. That goes against rules as well. No, right? no, exactly. But also, I'm wondering who this guy says he witnessed it, and I don't yeah. know how you would witness it. No, um, and, and it could be <laughs> confused with a different person entirely. Yeah, it just uh, makes zero sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I always remember the image of. Um, Jason on fire walking through like that cornfield. Yeah. Yeah, that, I remember being struck by that. That was quite a cool shot. Yeah, and there's a scene where he's, his, his machete's on fire and he throws it through a guy and this flaming machete goes through his body. Yeah. Um, there's some cool stuff there, but he's doing all the killing. I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I remember watching the um, uh, Never Sleep Again documentary about the whole series. Yeah. And they had um, Jay out of Jay and Silent Bob. Show up the actual Jay oh, right. and go, Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, doing Freddy vs. He goes, Oh, wait, I wasn't in that film. Yeah, he and might that, as well have been. And that was the only thing he's in the whole documentary, and yeah. that's the only time he yeah, showed yeah, up. Yeah, Because he's mates with Wes Craven, of course, I think, that, right, that right. turn up and scream and yeah, or scream yeah, two yeah. or three or one of those. Oh, look, it's a totally it's a character of him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, uh, but that was a real of the time thing, right? What, what I mean, Jay was the kind of. Um, prototype for it but it was yeah. all through those kind of comedies American Pie and Road Trip and all that stuff yeah, yeah. always had some stoner dude you know it's weird how he's introduced like he shouldn't be with those kids at all yeah all of a sudden he is you know yeah actually that's a good point I hadn't thought about till now that the, the separation between um, the uh, Nightmare Kids and the and the Friday the 13th Kids I mean I, I have noticed that you know as I said in my notes you know like watching these things mm. but actually the idea of kind of reconciling that in one film and the yeah. differences and, and, and yeah that. yeah the, um, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street kids I mean for one thing they're all at school which the, mm. the Friday 13th kids aren't really no. but they're all at school they're all friends they're all aware of what they're going for they're mm. all concerned for each other they look out for each other mm. um, they seem more realistic characters yeah. whereas Friday 13th characters are caricatures yeah they're ridiculous they're overblown they're just, yeah. you know One's the cool kid, one's the jock, one's mm. the nerdy girl. You know, yeah. they are just 
Um, they're there just, just to get they're chopped. They're just like, stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And often, yeah, exactly. They're right. They exist so that you hate them enough yeah. to want to see them killed. Yeah, you want to see them like, yeah, like Shelley. You know, you just like out of yeah. front of their... <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I can't wait to see this dude get... Yeah, just, totally, yeah, totally. And, 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 and they're very unaware of what's going on around them. So yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to combine those two worlds, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I like a lot of the Elm Street kids, but I don't really like any of the Friday 13th kids from your room. Maybe no. one or two, you know, yeah. in the franchise. Thematically, I get it. They go with the the fire. Freddy's afraid of fire um, because he was burnt, and Jason's afraid of water because he drowned. Yeah, sure. But that doesn't fly with either of their films, that, no, especially Jason. Like it's like, well, he walks underwater all the time. The, the dude's are practically a submarine. Yeah, he, he's constantly <laughs> disappearing underwater and emerging from water and yeah. pulling people into water. Yeah, so he shouldn't be. And Freddy lives. Yeah. By furnaces. He lives, yeah. you know. He In part two, he burns things down so he can walk through the flames to exit the pool party. Yeah. He's never been afraid of fire. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, I guess, from a point of view, like, I was burned to death and yeah. he drowned. Yeah. So why not use that against yeah. him? But neither of them seem worried. No, it's like the reverse. Yeah. Like, totally. if anything, it was, you know, like, oh, I guess I haven't really seen Freddie in that much water. and I, Maybe Jason. He's been set on fire a few times. but Yeah, totally. Yeah, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, it just seems an odd thing to do. Like, I get it in isolation if you hadn't watched those other films, but if you're a fan of either of them, you'd be like, or both. Yeah, you'd be like what? That's like you come up. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes sense in this film. Yeah, but, but not in any other film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, so that's to journey through the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, one through eight. Um, it felt less. Um, I felt like a, a less of investment than when we watched the Friday. Th- then we watched the Friday the Thirteenth. The Friday the Thirteenth. I know we, there's only two more that we watched, but yeah. it felt like a real uh, took a lot of time and and yeah, like I say, I think I appreciated um, five. Definitely went up in my estimation from from where I was before. Yeah, yeah. So what if you're going to rank them? Where would you rank them? Oh, what? okay. The hard one is seven for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But my ranking, I'm going to say one. Yeah. Three. Mm-hmm. Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that could, seven feels like it could move around. I'll be honest, because it mm-hmm. is like we were saying. I think off mic before, it isn't. It isn't the canon film, so it's hard to yeah. compare it. Uh, four, mm-hmm. two, mm-hmm. five, mm-hmm. eight, right, six. Okay, yeah. So my top one is the the first one, and my yeah. first one is Freddy's Dead, obviously. Yeah, my one would be, and I haven't watched it for this, so I'd still have so much love and this is completely subjective I don't think objectively it is but yeah. my one still is four cool. number one uh, then I'll go one mm-hmm. then I'll go three mm-hmm. uh, then I would go five right uh, then then we get into murky territory uh, sure then I would go do I like you know what I would go two because it's so it has so much um yeah, I know exactly you, what you're You know what saying. I mean? Like, it's worth watching. Like, if anyone's listening to this, you've got to watch two. Whereas, then seven, then eight, then six. Yeah. Yeah, six is definitely the worst. Yeah, yeah, I think we agree on the worst and the, yeah. and, and kind of pretty close on the first. Yeah, I would say, and I'd say that the, the bottom half kind of settles itself, really. 
that you know. Yeah, eight what, and six seem about fair as the worst of the two. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was surprised to find eight as bad as I did. Yeah, it just just does not work. You know, yeah. it's fundamentally, it's problematic. Yeah, hmm. and maybe that's a smart decision on their part. Maybe they just went, oh, it's diminishing returns if we go back to the well. Unless, it, as you say, you could add a third kind of. Yeah, thing in there. yeah, but failing that, I guess rebooting does make a lot of sense because you can get yeah. a whole new, whole new audience and maybe. Yeah, and um, then and then I guess we just have to. The last thing we have to do is um, start watching the reboots of these. Um... <laughs> wow! Oh, they're talking about remaking this again, like a remake of a remake. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, eh? Yeah, and um, yeah, because last one did not take off. Friday Thirteenth uh, probably not going to happen again. There are apparently ongoing legal issues with really? that. Um, that property, yeah. Because wow. I always wondered, um, the last one, which I haven't seen, mm. but the last one um, made a lot of money, so why mm. didn't they go back to a part two? But mm. apparently there's still a whole lot of issues around who owns that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the remake, was just really grimy and mm. kind of grim and yeah. uh, just not much fun. No. That's our, our trip trip down um, down uh, Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got to say one of the things I really enjoyed about it was uh, it brought back a memory of my teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing these kids hanging hanging out, uh, watching black and white TVs by their bedside at yeah. night, you know, um, trying to stay awake to finish, to watch, not because I was scared of Freddy, obviously, yeah. invading my dreams, but, you know, <laughs> hanging out and watching movies together. And it just brought back a real era for me. I really yeah. love that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And uh, again, um, I... Uh, Friday the 13th is a big informer for me for uh, horror films. Norman Elm Street 1 uh, and Alien were the first true horror films that I saw Yeah, um, that I can remember way younger than I should have. Yeah. And so they had a lot of effect on me. Um, sure. And Alien is still, you know, phenomenally well made. Mm. Uh, Norman Elm Street, not so much. But yeah, and, and I always loved the cover art. I'd see the cover art at the... Um, VHS store, mm. you know, and by the time I started watching them, I think I mean definitely the first two were out by that point. I think around, I think the third one maybe have come out of the cinema when I first watched the first one. So mm. probably like eleven, probably like twelve when I watched the first mm. one. I was like, whoa, that's pretty freaky. Um, yeah, and so then it was it was those good times of when they were just all coming out. Yeah, you know, four, five, six. Yeah, you know, all came out. One after the other, basically. Two's got great cover art, eh? Yeah. It, yeah, you know, it's the shot of the guy with the girlfriend in his arms and he's looking in the mirror. Yeah. And it's a, a Freddy vision of him, but it's not really Freddy. Like, yeah. it's a skull and all burnt away, fleshed away from the... Yeah. You know, it's, it's quite unsettling. I really like that cover yeah, art. That, uh, yeah, exactly. I remember that in the VHS store going, wow, that's really freaky. Yeah. And they had the first one with the knives over the top of, uh, you know, Nancy's head. Yeah. And... Um, and what I like is the consistency of the cover art. Mm. I think up and definitely the first four have it. Mm. Maybe the first five. And mm. I think I think Freddy's Dead's the first one where it's like just out the window. Basically, um, it's not quite the same. So yeah. the cover art's really consistent and it has that really unusual look to it. Always with the knives mm. and the, and like you say that the representation of Freddy is quite artistic interpretation. Yeah, it's not a literal. Yeah, it's cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, there's reference in Stranger Things quite a lot. Obviously, Nancy mm. is Nancy, and mm. uh, Upside Down is kind of a, a mm. dreamlike state. So, mm. um, yeah, it really is a lot of 80s-ness to it all. Yeah. Uh, which which is why when Dream Child finishes and they, it feels like the end of an era, you know, mm. Freddy's Dead always seems slightly outside of that. And it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all of those series were kind of winding down. To it is totally extent. outside of that in tone and the way it's yeah. performed as well. Yeah, and I kind of think all of those... Uh, uh, 
80s horror films were kind of winding down at that point. You know, mm. even Friday the 13th was winding down by the time it got, they just seemed lost as to what they were doing. Yeah. Like Freddy's dead and Jason goes to hell and yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. The song we're going out to is Are You Ready for Freddy? By the Fat Boys. Yeah, by the Fat Boys. Uh, I guess maybe some of the younger listeners wouldn't have a clue who they were. Yeah. But they were uh, really big for about. Um, Pardon the pun for about a year, right? <laughs> so it was a toss up between this or Dokken Dream Warriors, which yeah. actually is on my um, Spotify playlist. It's part, part of my gym workout music. Um, but I feel, <laughs> that's, I that's a true story. You. Dream Warriors. You, but, you, um, you're like the one in four, you know, who's always uh, yeah, the workouts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can turn to a cockroach. I, I told you that all the time. Everyone knows that about me and yeah. my fear of cockroaches. <laughs> Common knowledge. Um, but I feel we've played it before, and I yeah. can't remember when, but it just... Yeah, I think we did, um, uh, many moons ago on one of the podcasts, we did a top five uh, films that use the title in, oh. the, in, the, uh, in the song. And yeah, I, yeah. And I think there were specifically... So very specific. I think there were horror films that use the title maybe in the... Because I know we did Pet Cemetery and... And Maniac Cop, the Maniac, Maniac Cop yeah. rap. Yeah. 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 We do some very specific top five. That was... A, that was... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, I uh, hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you enjoy Are You Ready for Freddy? Mm. And um, I guess we'll see you next month. All right. Cheers.